0: Welcome to the EPS podcast, Industry for the Future. In this session, we look at how the live events industry can collectively work better to cope with broad challenges around geopolitics, economics and customer confidence, while ensuring the government more fully recognises and reflects its huge contribution to the economy and the public's well-being. Good morning and thank you all for coming. Um, this is the uh, first panel of 10 during EPS. Um, We've five today. This is um, this panel is looking at, uh, essentially it's titled Industry for the Future. It's really aiming to discuss the uh, headline topics, the big topics that are impacting the live events industry at the moment. Um, so we'll be running through um, what what people are seeing on a day-to-day basis as being major issues we need to hurt, we need to overcome, but also the issues that we should be talking to government about, we should be lobbying, and we should be getting um, encouraging change. Um, We've got an excellent lineup of speakers. Um, Before I introduce them, I just want to make sure that you've all scanned the QR code on the way in. We've got a Vivox technology, which is an interactive technology. So at the end, there won't be someone coming around with a microphone um, asking if you've got... Uh, taking your questions so as uh, we go through the panel if anything pops into your mind please do um, enter the questions into the app page um, and like any other questions you see there and we'll uh, endeavor to answer the most popular questions um, the QR code is obviously on the screen behind you if you haven't had an opportunity to scan it on the way in okay I'll introduce the panel Um Sasha, um, I'll introduce you all. If you can then just talk a little bit about yourself, just to get a bit of context, because obviously, Sasha, you've got different roles. Obviously, you're co-founder of um, Parklife Festival um, and um, the Warehouse Project. Um, You're also nighttime economy advisor for Greater Manchester. Um, So if you can just talk talk us a little bit through um, what you're doing really in that role particularly um, and... um, if, yeah, we can dig into a bit more detail further further through the session. So,
1: just like a quick 60 second overview. That would be perfect. Okay, fine. This is like a really weird silent disco, by the way, that was sat in, kind of freaking me out a bit. Um, so, obviously, from Manchester, no surprises there. Um, Co founder of The Warehouse Project and also Park Life Festival, which is now the biggest metropolitan festival. In the UK. In 2018 I was asked to take on the role to advise our mayor Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester um, which I have been doing and I think we've been making some noise and some success which we'll probably talk about further down the line but yeah that's that's me.
0: Okay great and John rather than me go into all the details about what Live does if you could do a similar thing and John Collins is the CEO of Live which is an umbrella organization uh, representing the live music industry with You'll tell me, but I think it's 14 different associate members under that umbrella. So if you could just you know, do the same thing.
2: Thanks, Chris. Um, from the accent, you can tell I'm just 30-odd miles away from Sasha, based in Liverpool. Um, I'm a lobbyist. I <laughs> uh, have been for 20-something years, and I was recruited by Live just over a year ago to try and develop the live music industry's voice to government. Uh, Live came about during lockdown, pulled together 13 associations initially, then 14, we're about to announce a 15th. We'll be joining imminently. And we cover everything from festivals to venues, to orchestras, to electronic music, agents, artists, managers, ticket retailers, production services, and on and on. So we really try and cover the whole sweep. And within Live, uh, we focus on trying to get this government to take the industry as seriously as it should do Uh, and then advancing work in particular areas like live green on sustainability, live workforce, looking after our people, live venues and festivals, looking at the issues around, you know, organizers uh, and producers there and live touring, which is principally about trying to unpick the post-Brexit arrangements in Europe, which is enough to keep us going for the next decade or so, I would imagine. Great stuff, thank you.
0: Okay, and um, Helen Marriage, your CEO of Artichoke. If you can just talk a little bit about um, your role and uh, sort of briefly some of the um, headline events that you've been over- you've overseen in the past.
3: So Artichoke's seventeen years old. It's a big, or uh, it's a small company that does big events in public space for free for the audience, always with artists at their heart. It's an utterly uncommercial, not for profit, but we tend to work in city centers we close down roads to traffic we tend to what we try and do is f- imaginatively transform a familiar space by creating a platform for artists to work that then allows the public to feel utterly differently about that space and those people that they share it with
0: okay excellent
3: and we have Judy Beck,
0: Operations Director from um, the one and only Boomtown Festival. Um, your role is- Kind of speaks for itself, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if you'd like to add a little bit of detail, that'd be fantastic. Uh,
4: yeah, so I'm Operations Director for Boomtown. Boomtown um, is a fairly, well, is a large 66,000 cap. Uh, we've fairly niche show um on the south downs national park near winchester um we have been running for about well 15 years this is going to be our 15th anniversary this year um being town if if anybody doesn't know it or hasn't been it it is a it's quite unique, like I say, it's, very, um, it's a music festival, but with a very high um, Im- sort of investment in th- immersive theater, um, it is, we, we build a city. We basically build a city for, I and mean, it takes us six weeks to build, we run it for a week, and then we break it all down again, and it's about sort of bringing people into a very, very different world.
0: Okay, thank you, thank you all. Um, so I'll start with you, Judy. Uh, the, com- the, the first topic I wanted to kind of dig into a little bit was changing customer behaviour post-pandemic. Um, not only in terms of people potentially buying tickets later, maybe people buying more or less tickets, but while they're actually at the event and their behavioural patterns um, on site at Boomtown, the, the most recent Boomtown, did you see any kind of um, any kind of behavioural changes, or was it pretty much in line with previous events?
4: Um, no, I think I think. Um in reality and we can't downplay it really covid has ever had a massive impact on on the world and on our world and um i mean i think what what we've seen is that i I would say that this year is probably the first year that we can actually really start to see what that looks like i don't think last year was really a good reflection of what the world is now Um, i think we you know for us we did two years of rollover tickets so we can't. It's really hard for us now to do that sort of backwards forecasting on whether or not we're on track or not on track. Or, um, And I think people's behaviors are changing. So, you know, there's also the cost of living crisis. People are, are a lot more careful about what they're spending their money on. They're a lot more selective about it. They're thinking about it more. Um, it is a high level cost. Um, the we know that the supply chain issues that we've been having with the staffing issues that we've been having that you know we're offsetting a lot of those costs onto the audience and the tickets um it's all becoming a little bit it's, it's a different landscape now i think that's the reality and in in audience behavior yes the ticket buying seems to have changed um the behavior when they arrive i think we've got We've got a very different audience our audience was already two years older than they were when they first bought their tickets in many accounts they hadn't had the practice of going to events that they'd have had previously Uh, we're having to sort of retrain people in how to behave what their expectations are like how they're being looked after i my feeling is is that what covid did for people was to give them the space to really sort of start to reflect on themselves, but also it highlighted people's vulnerabilities. And I think that now the vulnerabilities are up there, they are needing more support for their vulnerabilities. So what people want from a mental health support, from a, you know, the crowd management support, the, you know, all the sort of the violence against women and girls, a lot of it's now coming up to the surface and that is a lot more communicated and expressed.
0: Okay, John, um, I know Live uh, was recently involved in commissioning some research into uh, audience sort of buying habits, I suppose, and willingness to go out to events uh, and appetite for, for, um, you know, nightlife, I guess, after the pandemic. Um, I forget the exact number, but it was something, 70-something percent of 18 to 24-year-olds were more reluctant to to go to a live event post-pandemic. Obviously, at the bottom end of that, the 18-year-olds were probably 15 or so when the pandemic started, but certainly that is a concerning figure. Um, Can you just talk us through a little bit about what you are able to reveal about those
2: findings and and what are the most concerning? Sure. So we, we undertook two waves of research last year because people who've been in this industry long much longer than I have recognized that things weren't the same you know people hadn't come back the same way audiences weren't behaving in their ticket buying the same way particularly and so we did two waves of research to try and dig in to understand well why was that and three things came out of it really and the second wave was in November last year and still there was a COVID hangover of a a reluctance to be in crowds and whether that was the right thing to do. Then there was the cost of living crisis and people saying, you know, we don't have as much disposable income. We're having to focus on essentials. We might go and see our favorite artists, but we're not going out as regularly as we were. And then the third one was this absolute ingrained habit to stay in. And you know, government had said to people for two years, stay at home, stay at home, stay at home. And what government hasn't done for the last two years is say, come out, come out, come out. And we believe that that's what they should be doing. And you're right, 72% of 18 to 24-year-olds said they were less likely to go out now compared to lockdown. And that was true across the age groups. It was true across the regions. And you know, we feel there's a role for government there to do something. I'm not sure what, what you've done in Manchester, Sasha, but, you know, something like Sadiq Khan's team in London, where they've done Let's Do London. And they spent about 11 million pounds on that campaign. And the assessment was it brought in 289 million pounds of additional activity. So not just live music and festivals, but right across London and getting people out. You know, and we can show time and again, it's good for this country's mental health. It's good for our well-being, It's good for this country economically, if the government supports us and facilitates for people to come out and enjoy.
0: Thank you, Sasha. So, I mean, in, in answer to that, <clears throat> have you seen? Has there been a campaign like that in Manchester? But also, do you agree that there should be a government-backed campaign to encourage people to support nightlife, to, to support hospitality, to support festivals, etc.? And is it likely to? Would is it? Are they likely to listen to us?
1: Well, I think the answer is no. Not in this government's anyway. But you know, I, I think. Certainly, we have been running campaigns, give a gift of going out campaign. You know, Sadiq's very fortunate. He's got the big budgets, the 11 million. I think we've not got 11 quid in Manchester to spend, but we'll probably get onto that in in a minute. You know, looking back as an event organiser, so so wearing my my part-life hat, I remember coming out of COVID and we had to... Part-life's normally in June, and it normally takes about two months to sell out. We sell probably 85% in the first three weeks, but then you've got the hard Sunday VIPs to sell, so it trickles and trickles. So we decided that year to push it back to September and it was the right choice because we couldn't have gone in in June. We sold 80,000 tickets in 78 minutes, right? And I thought Ticketmaster had cocked up, which isn't so unusual by the way. And I phoned them three times to say, you need to get, yeah, I need to speak to your supervisor because there's no way we've sold 80,000 tickets in 78 minutes but that shows the appetite. I think what we're seeing now, obviously it's calmed down a bit now, that was two years ago, but I think we're definitely seeing a shift in behavior, and I I agree with you. So the big ticketed events that people really look forward to, where there's big production in there like Boomtown, those special events, People are waiting for those special moments and they're paying for those special moments. And you look at the likes of 1975 that, that banged out 50,000 tickets in Finsbury a couple of weeks ago. Kids are still going out and partying. What we are seeing is those clubs that maybe I would go to, or maybe you, I think, we are we a similar age? Possibly. Yes. You know, we'd probably go to the same club every Saturday in the same corner where our same mates would be there and that's the end or whatever. You know, I think those, those venues that people go to on a weekly basis, we're definitely seeing the footfall drop off. But the big ticketed events people are still going to, so I think we're, we're quite fortunate to that. I think one thing we have to discuss is there are very, very few positives that came out of COVID, but I think there were some. I think very quickly the public got behind our industry, our sector, events, hospitality, because they realized the damage, that ravaged the sector, and they realized we weren't getting the support that we should have done. And I'm not just talking about the big scale events or the live music gigs, I'm talking about the local indie pub or the local cafe. You know, they were destroyed, they were ruined, and they're still going through it now. But I think not only did they get on our side, you know, we have to look at ourselves and actually, we probably took our industry for granted, I think. You know, going out for a meal, we took for granted, going to a live music gig, we took for granted. Going to a festival, we know how hard it is to put festivals on, but I think the public maybe took it for, for granted. And you know, you've got to mention the freelancers that actually were thrown under the bus during the whole COVID period. Many are probably here today. They did not get a single penny. And I think one of the things—I don't know if you—if I do know—you will have experienced it coming back with Sound, the first one back. That family feeling when we all came back backstage. You know, we saw the sound engineers, the techies, the people that put the staging up, welfare who are here today. It was so nice to get everybody back in the room again. And I think we now appreciate our industry a lot more. And I do think there is that public shift that they're on our side now. So we are no longer just that restaurant or that live music venue or that that festival you no know, people do support us more so that is that is a positive we can take from that that dreadful 18 months two years okay and, and helen obviously you've put on events free to attend events
0: that have involved shutting down large parts of london and other cities with hundreds of thousands of people on the street to get that kind of to bring that many people together to make that actually work involves a huge power of persuasion and skill and experience. Um, do you feel that the government is, you know, sufficiently on our side? If you like, I mean, obviously they didn't support freelancers enough during a pandemic. I mean, that is that was clear. They did, due in the cultural recovery fund and through other means, pump a sufficient amount of uh, a large amount of money into the industry. But do you feel that, I guess two questions, do you feel that the industry is doing enough to persuade government to support us further, and um, how should we go about doing it?
3: I think what John said, which is, you know, he cited the 11 million that the that Sadiq Khan's administration spent generating 2.89 billion, I think that's what you said.
2: 289 million, yeah. yeah
3: 289 million. Um, I think we've banded those statistics around for years. I mean, everything I do is free. So we raise the money to put it on. So if you look at something like Lumiere London, or if you look at the Sultan's Elephant, the very first thing we did, it cost a million and a half quid to do in those days. It generated 26 million in ancillary income and inward investment into London over that weekend. Everybody went, oh, that's nice but nobody recognizes it as a serious kind of investment, particularly if you're us, because there's no transaction between you and the public. So they don't, it's not valued in the same way. If you're giving something away for free, however big, however many millions of people you have on the street, however much income you generate, it's not, considered serious and I think that we as an industry have sort of failed to make those arguments stick, not with the DCMS who I'm sure get it, but it's the treasury in the end that makes those decision making, I mean I'm right aren't I? If you can't persuade the treasury of the value of
2: what you're doing you're done for. No, no, you you go into DCMS to talk about anything and they immediately say well, if you're talking about touring that sits in DFT or the Foreign Office or Or Department of Business and Trade. If you're talking about They're visas, just a sort it's, of, the it's home a bit office. like going to
3: your GP, going to the DCMS. You know, they just they just yeah, send you Take off to a specialist to somewhere else, and the specialists have other priorities. So, I, do I think we've done enough? No. how to do it? I think we're not. I think we're not very sophisticated in the way that we do. If you look at the way that science or other industries lobby, employ people like John, you know, are really in there. Um, fighting the cause. I think that we, we don't do it. We just, we're just we just sort of polite and kind of a bit whingy. And I think making those harder, am I
2: wrong? Yeah, I, 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 I think the answer to your two questions, Chris, are no and no. No, the government doesn't take us seriously and no, we haven't done enough. But we are doing more. I think, you know, Sasha uh, pointed out the way that the lockdown banded people together and it banded organisations together to create live... You know, what Sasha's doing with Mike at NTIA is making the nighttime economy far higher up in people's thinking and understanding. Um, but you, you, even within music, what we're doing is dwarfed by the record labels. So you've got to try and fight with because them. Because it's
3: all about comment I mean, I'd be really interested to know whether any politician is coming to this. This whole... Mm. I mean,
1: even do, to do you know, I, I
3: What is going on here? To see the massive nature of the industry, of the employment, of the technological innovation, all that stuff. Are they even invited, would be my question. Why isn't a minister... The invitation's
0: open. I think, we. I mean, all of these panels are filmed, so we can... I don't mean the panels. I mean,
3: coming to this event, this whole... Where are they? Why aren't they seeing what is going on? Because they're not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I could go into detail about conversations i've had with various advisors and things and quite surprising conversations about their pure naivety and lack of yeah, knowledge yeah. about our industry which is quite shocking i mean sasha just wanted to get your response to the yet another change when it comes to culture secretary and the dcms being st- recent streamlining what how Concerned are you by that or are you welcoming a new person, a new face, a new ears? To, to, I mean, what, what, how, what's your response to the recent changes at DCMS?
1: M- uh, Michelle, well, I mean, the, the, new, the new head of DCMS response after Nadine Dores is like asking me whether I, I prefer my doctor after Harold Shipman. I mean, it's, you could not, I, I think that whole two-year period where Nadine Dores ignored the whole sector was just pathetic. It was an absolute insult to us. And I don't want to make this political, but I actually... Oh, go on. I No, I do have high hopes, actually, that she will be... Well, she's got to be more responsive, hasn't she? And I think we're seeing she's more engaging. And she well, serves We're, on, we're
2: th- on to Lucy Fraser now, don't forget. This, what, sorry. We're on Lucy Fraser now, not Michelle Donnellan. Brilliant. She's We've
1: moved on already then. Yeah, yeah. Right.
2: 13 in 13 years. Five well, I think, and eight I think
1: that actually... Shows what they how, where they regard the industry, and I, and I think you're right. You know where are the politicians? I have to say, I'm not being biased. You know, I am quite lucky. The fact that I'm from Manchester, because Burnham actually does get it. He goes out to gigs, and you know, it's not been announced yet. But so please don't announce it. But he's going to do IMS, um, Ibiza. You know, so. He's very, very engaging, and you, know, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you talk about the authorities. You, you bring free people in, but it wasn't actually understood the knock-on effect in the treasury. Mm-hmm. You know when park life happens, forget what happens in the perimeter of, of Heaton Park, on the other side of the fence, if you think about taxes, restaurants, new outfit hotels those two days bring 13 million into the local economy. Warehouse Project brings 17 million into yeah. the local economy. And I think in Manchester they understand that. And I think that's why mm. possibly we're, we're seeing slightly higher up the pecking order than, than other cities. Um, you know, and I bang, you know, I will go back to the Hacienda days when the whole world was looking at what was going on in, in Manchester at the time. And this was before everyone was looking at Berlin or Barcelona or Paris. No, the music was coming out of Manchester. Uh, we Thatch- were in
2: cream at the time, but- you know, Pardon? I was in cream at the time.
1: Well, you were a bit behind <laughs> us then, weren't you? But, you know, Fatsy records, New Order, James, Happy Mondays. Everyone was looking at what we were wearing. The council, Manchester City Council, actually understood how important the tourism was at that point. It was a real stepping phone for the city. And I think it's still being recognized now. They've always supported us. And I realize I'm in a very fortunate position when I speak to colleagues around the country. You know, they are banging their head against a brick wall because you're right, people in power are not understanding the importance of what our industry does. During a pandemic,
0: so I was going to... Uh, sorry, just one second. Um, I was just going to say, during a pandemic, one positive thing was the launch of Live. It was the way that the industry came together collectively and started to, to communicate with a single powerful voice, or certainly much more powerful voice than before when you had lots of disparate, disparate different associations. But sh- I, would you say that there's still, obviously there's still a need to kind of have a more powerful voice, but to get that more powerful voice, do we need to come together as an industry in other ways? Is there enough statistics out there? Um, so that's question for you, John, and then I'll come straight to you afterwards, Judy,
2: sorry. There's not enough data by far, that's for sure. So you know, Live's gone through a, it sort of sprung up during the white heat of lockdown and you know nothing binds people together like a common problem, a common challenge enemy. And so that, that created collaboration with across those live music associations that hadn't been there before. I came in last April with the brief to try and turn what was in essence a, you know, a pressure group with a fighting fund into a fully fledged representative body for our sector in the same way that UK Hospitality and Kate represents the hospitality business. And we are, building towards that but we are still quite some way off and and data is one of the areas where we are particularly lacking Uh, it really frustrates me that I can't today go this is how many live music venues there are in the UK this is how many live music festivals there are in the UK never mind getting into then wider events and the creative and broader cultural sectors and without those numbers you're you're always starting from a weaker position, particularly when you move from DCMS through to Treasury, because then it's all about the data. So we're having a big push at the moment through our live insight stream to pull together half a dozen different data sources which should allow us to have a much more robust view of how big is this industry, what's its value, what's its employment, what are the trends? And if you can just start communicating those on a monthly, quarterly basis with a big annual report, you will seep into the psyche of the officials and the policy makers. But we've just talked about the churn. You you don't have to make your case once, you have to make your case a hundred times because people change, people move on. And it's a continuous process. And what we need to do as live is demonstrate enough value to those 15 associations and the members within them that they will keep supporting even though we don't have that immediate crisis right in front of us so that we are there to try and win on in different policy areas and then if the next crisis happens we're not caught on the hop the way we were a few years ago okay thank you sorry judy
4: um yeah i just kind of wanted to pick up on on what helen said about us appearing whinging and money and um and, and the fact that I think it's, it's really interesting about sort of us saying, where are the politicians? Where are they? Why are they not seeing us? Um, when up until COVID as an industry, I feel I may be right in saying that as an industry, we've tended to try and keep our heads down. We didn't really want to be up there. We didn't really want people paying massive amount of attention to us in a way. We want to be able to do our thing. We don't want to be over-regulated. We will do the things that we need to be doing to be compliant with the law, that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, we are always on the edge of a little bit risky. You know, if, if, well, certainly from a festival's point of view, um, we do that in a very, well, most of us try and do it in in quite a sort of well-managed way. But as soon as you start sort of exposing, you know, the fact that people take drugs at festivals, the fact that there is sort of alcoholism, the fact that, you know, we have, you know, acts, all kinds of things going on. is like, as soon as we were, we came together, we then came in front of the select committee. Then they did a real focused attention in onto events and festivals. And then they start really digging in and they start really asking the questions. And it's like, well, actually, do we really want them to? I think it's how we engage really is like, what do we need to move forwards? What do we need to be focusing on? But not so much a kind of like, oh, woe is us. I mean, I think, I think we were really shocked as an industry at how quickly they could lose us. like the Like the first to go and the last to come back. And it's like, you know, we'd got fairly comfortable over the years, I would say that it's like, of course events happen because people want to go to events because this is like, this is what society does. They like to come together. They like to celebrate. They want, if they don't do that, I mean, pandemic showed if you don't put it on they will find a way to do it anyway people did still have raves in the woods you know it's like people need to come together to celebrate we fill that need therefore we had a sort of rather heightened arrogance i think around how important we are in the world um and then we were shocked at how actually we weren't or we could just be taken away you know and and then we sort of got a little bit like you say sort of whingy moany why aren't you supporting us why aren't you seeing us through where isn't the money Um, we've got an industry where people like to be freelance. You know, they do it by choice, not because they're forced to be freelance, you know. And it's because I would say we are an industry where we are the circus that people have run away to, to a certain degree. You know, we are the people that want to sort of operate a little bit on the fringes, Because actually we can do that. We can build our own towns. We can build our own events. We can run our entire civil service. We can have our own sort of police service. We deal with our own plumbing. You know, it's like we run cities because we like to do that and we feel competent. But we do it a little bit on the edge because we don't want to actually be mainstream. So we like that. But then when it doesn't go right for us, we moan about that. And then we want somebody to save us and and pull it out. And it's like, well, you know, we do need to... We need to know, work out what we want our identity to be.
1: Yeah. I, I, think, I, in- I I do think we're doing a much, much better job. And I think you know, during that period, there's so many incredibly powerful voices like Live, like UKH, UK Hospitality, like the NCIA. I think ultimately I would like to see, as other sectors do, because we are the fifth biggest industry in, in the UK. In Greater Manchester alone, we employ more than 500,000 people. I think there should be a nighttime economy advisor that everybody feeds into because it works. You know, I think we've had success in Greater Manchester. We've seen it in Bristol. It's gonna happen in, in Birmingham. And so many times the government made so many bad decisions. For example, the 10 p.m. curfew yeah. that I took, Hancock, who's yeah. front page of the Telegraph today, I took him to the high court and, and won. We all knew as event organizers, the 10 p.m. curfew, when they introduced that, was going to cause far more damage than good because we all have to create these staggered egresses. Mm. And actually, by doing that, they spread the virus. It was dangerous what they, what they actually did. And that's how we won when it came to court. So they are pretty clueless, and I think they need to be engaging a lot more with us. Yeah. Having said that, organisations like Live, UK, NCI are doing an amazing job. But I just think it, it needs to be more coordinated, the approach.
2: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Helen,
1: I wanted to bring you in. Obviously, you know,
0: there's been a lot of talk about trying to get the VAT rate on tickets back down to 5% because obviously the industry is dealing with a hell of a lot of issues at the moment, not least the rising supply chain costs, the rising cost of personnel, power costs going through the roof. So um, your events are not generally not ticketed, They're generally free-to-attend a- yeah. free events. Um, and I guess How those events, while they... Um, I mean, you're probably better at answering this than, than me, but from my perspective, they are perfect the illustration of the impact that they have on people's mental health, and what they personally get out of attending events. So, for what what do you think is the best way for the industry to not moan and to really pro- proactively, positively uh, liaise with government to embrace them and bring them into our industry and show what powerful what powerful impacts we have, not just on the economy, which does seem to get things working but also, you know, emotionally, the the mental health benefits and everything
3: else. I think Judy's right that we're sort of schizophrenic about all of this, because we want to be taken seriously, but we want to be left alone. It's that sort of duality. We want to be able to push the boundaries. We want to do things in a slightly anarchic or unexpected way. I mean, we do stuff that looks impossible, like, you know, Banning traffic from central London for four nights, um, all of that sort of stuff. It takes months and months and months of negotiation with all the agencies. With you know, in the case of London, TfL, the Met, the Westminster City Council, all these people. Because we're not working in a in a dedicated arena. We're not we're not in control of our own space. We're only there by the kind permission or the ability to persuade people to stop saying no. Of you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stakeholders and the only way those events happen is by creating that sense of partnership. Um, So I don't want anyone regulating what I do because I don't want them to tell me what I can't do, but I do want them to take it seriously and I think that that's the dilemma and actually when you talk about us joining up and you know perhaps being a better force, I think the question is what do identifying what we want what you know what what is the aim what does that government support look like what what does it mean in terms of regulation what does it mean in terms of investment what does it mean i mean what what are the concrete single you know top five things that this industry would want to achieve i think that's the question but i think that there are loads of there are loads of things coming in at the moment you know the protect duty all of those kind of things that're going to change in part that freedom to operate. And I think that what, when I say that it would be good for politicians to engage, I don't mean for them to come and begin to tell us how to do what we do, but to actually begin to understand what we do, which is a different thing, and then appreciate it for its power and its intrinsic ability to improve people's lives, because in the end, that's what we're doing, whether we're in hospitality or whether we're in events, and to value that, not to kind of get into the granular, you know, how many lose do you need per 100 people or in all of that kind of stuff, but actually, what is the broad brush impact of this industry? And how can they support it in ways that don't try and change its intrinsic nature, but actually make it a more coherent and solid and joined up um, and appreciated industry within, within the UK.
0: Okay, thank you very much. I'm just realizing we're, we've got literally five minutes left, so I'm hoping some of you scan the app, some of you looked at it, and some of you have uh, submitted some questions. We'll find out in a second. Um, we have a poll here, but actually, um, if we can switch from that poll and go to questions that have been submitted, please. Okay, first, while we're doing that, I'll just quickly zoom round if you could keep this kind of brief and concise, but each one of you, if you could just have one thing changed or one piece of support from the government to help the industry survive and thrive in the year ahead, uh, what would that be,
1: Sasha? Reduction in VAT. I know know that wouldn't help free events, but I think, you know, for uh, reduction in VAT would be my number one thing. I've got... Another thing as well, actually, because it was number one. <laughs> it was number one on that list: shortage in personnel. Okay, huge. The first part, life back within three weeks to go. We nearly had to pull the event because we didn't have enough security. We've always taken it from Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool. We were bussing them in from Devon, Cornwall, San, but it, all over the UK. We're having to bring them in. We need to lower the visa requirements because when we went into COVID period. The whole Brexit thing happened, and let's not debate it. It's here; we've got to deal with it. But you had to earn a minimum of twenty-eight thousand. Now I'm arguing we need better pay, but let's reduce that now to twenty-one thousand. Let's get people back into the industry as quick as we can.
0: Okay, thank you, Sasha. And you, John?
2: Uh, reduction of VAT uh, on tickets. I think you probably you're talking F and B, food and beverage across, across the board. Yeah. 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 So so we we've sort of focused in on the. There was a 5% VAT rate on tickets during lockdown. Bring that back. It puts us in line with Europe. It allows us to do more. The cultural argument doesn't really work with this government, so it does become about numbers. And everyone's quoting great numbers of what gets put into the local economy. And you know, the National Arenas Association worked out that, roughly speaking, every 10,000 people who go to an arena show a million pounds into the local economy. About a hundred pound a head spent. In that local economy you then talk to agents and promoters about tour programming and event programming and yeah at five percent those extra arena shows would happen they would do aberdeen they would do leeds as well as manchester they do an extra night in london that's all extra money we're generating for uk plc and it's actually also giving people wonderful nights out so far and away for us vat at five
0: Okay. Thank you, John. And you,
2: Helen?
3: I've got two. One is about staff and freelancers and actually getting a new generation of people interested in training in our industry, in the live bit of our industry. So, you know, production managers, riggers, or lighting technicians. I mean, there's a generation missing and the old guys are all going at the top and where are the new people coming? And the second one is that the government have these tax reliefs which help... certainly the cultural industries so theater tax relief museums galleries exhibitions tax relief that one particularly is on a sunset clause and they're going to close it in the spring of 24 next year and it makes it makes a 20 million pound difference to uh, galleries and exhibitions across the country so those tax reliefs need to be continued and in the pandemic rishi sunak put up the percentage that you could reclaim against your production costs from 16 to 45 percent. He's put it down again to 60. Needs to be at the top level.
0: Okay, great. And you, Judy? Um, what Sasha said. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit tough when you've had three people. But, <laughs> but it's it's true. Okay. I mean,
4: the reduction in VAT, um, uh, reducing the price, has major impact across everything, and being able to sell tickets um, and the staffing is just the biggest problem that we've got.
1: And I think for the employer for the for the freelance as well. You no, know, and I went back to what I said before. They got no support, hardly any support at all during that period. And then, just as we reopened, they introduced IR thirty-five, which was another kick in the balls for them. So I would say, look at IR thirty-five again. Maybe drop that. Okay, great stuff. We
0: could go on. There are other things that I would have liked to have raised, but we have run out of time. So it doesn't look like are we going to see? It doesn't look like we're going to see the questions, unfortunately. But I'm sure. I'm hoping these guys will be around for a little bit of time. So if any of you have uh, any questions, I'm sure- Questions have
2: appeared, Chris. happy.
0: To. <laughs> oh, here, here we go. Okay.
3: But not the answers.
0: Um, well, the I answer, the answer al- is no
2: on DCMS. <laughs> yeah, I think the first one is obviously a no. It's not being closed um, down, but it has been slimmed down a lot. But it does mean that our sectors are much bigger fish in a smaller pond. So, we should be able to get more ministerial headspace, but then you've got all the challenges of how much cloud does DCMS then have elsewhere. Does
0: it mean that the same focus is still, is it, uh, does it mean that the same amount of personnel and the same focus is going to be you know, in place but stronger on the, on the new slim down version of DCMS, or will they actually be losing focus, do you think, as a result?
2: No, no, it should. You know, the digital has moved over to the new department, so roughly speaking, they've got half the focus they had. Now, they may lose ministers, but at the moment, it doesn't look like they are. So it does sound like there will be more people with more time to listen to us. OK,
0: yeah. that's good. OK, um, I'm going to have to end it, actually, unfortunately, because I've got another panel in 15 minutes, <laughs> which I hope you will stick around for. Um, it's on Operation London Bridge. It's uh, going to be a fascinating... Look behind the scenes at what went on at uh, what was um, a very sad but uh, remarkable event in terms of what the live event industry achieved at incredibly short notice. Um, even though some people were preparing for it for 20 years, I found out. But um, so do stick around for that. I'd like you to show your appreciation, if you don't mind, for this for this panel. I think it's been a very interesting conversation.